What number is this, Chip? Zilch 131, your friendly neighborhood kidnappers with monkeys 101. A look back on the charts October 10th, 1966. And monkey news. And more. Uh-huh-huh. Uh-huh-huh. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. I'm Ken Mills, your host here today. And today we have a jam-packed show with lots of fun, lots of monkeying around, monkey news, and lots of great tunes. We want to thank you all for listening today. And before we get into our monkeys news segment, which we tend to kick off these shows with, I'd like to thank everybody for their tremendous outpouring of love for the last episode with the Woolhack Club. It was fantastic, and people really responded to it, and it's nice to see all generations of Monkees fans coming together. And look forward to some contributions from some of the folks over at the Woolhawk Club right here on Zilch. It's going to be great. It is with heavy heart that we bring you the news of the passing of James Frawley on January 22, 2019, in his home in Indian Wells, California. He was 82, his wife, Cynthia Frawley, said he fell and had a heart attack, but he hadn't told his friends that he had a serious lung condition after many years of smoking cigarettes. This was reported in the Palm Springs Desert Sun by reporter Bruce Fessier. Monkeys fans know James Frawley as the primary director of 32 episodes of the Monkeys TV series, and Turner Classic Movies described James Frawley as a prolific director for television for over four decades, behind the camera for countless series. Mickey Dolan's released this statement. Probably unbeknownst to many, Jim Frawley was profoundly instrumental in crafting what was to become the Emmy award-winning show The Monkees. He not only coached us in the art of improvisation, but brought to the party a brilliant sense of humor, a dazzling intellect, and the patience of a saint when it came to dealing with the completely off-the-wall antics of the improvisational, spontaneous monster that they had created, they being Bob Rafelson, Bert Schneider, and Jim Frawley. And believe me, at times we were indeed literally bouncing off the walls. I remember moments when they had to shut down the set because the spur-of-the-moment monster that they had created was about to go ballistic. I liken it to fission reaction. If you keep the lid on too tight, the fire goes out. If you take the lid off, it burns a hole through the center of the earth. To the credit of the producers, the writers, and largely to Jim Frawley, they somehow managed to sustain the reaction, control it, contain it, and use it to create a show that I feel blessed to be part of, and through the hard work of many, lives on to this day, signed Mickey Dolan's. But James Frawley's career didn't end when the Monkees TV show ended. He enjoyed a long career as a director of scores of TV and film projects. His best-known feature film was 1979's The Muppet Movie. 
In 2011, James Frawley was honored by the Palm Springs Women and Film and TV Organization for his contributions while working with women in film and television. James Frawley said, Women like Callista Flockhart in Ally McBeal, Tyne Daly in Cagney and Lacey, and Amy Brenneman in Judging Amy, it all came very naturally to me. I understand women. I think I understand their challenges. I understand their problems. I was an early feminist, and I encouraged young female directors. I hired them on Judging Amy. James Frawley was certainly a powerful voice in Hollywood for many years. Because of Zilch and this show, I was able to actually speak to James Frawley several times. He was gracious enough to do an interview with Zilch's own Jeff Geringer. We were always going to get him back on the show. I can tell you that he was glad that we all still cared, because who knew what you were doing in 1966 and 1967 would live on to this day. He was a very kind man. He was a very determined man, and he just had a certain way of looking at the world as how it should be. We will do complete episodes on James Frawley in the future, and I know that this passing is something that affects a lot of us, and James Frawley directed the show that we are discussing today, Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers. With love, we dedicate this episode of Zilch to James Frawley. And now on with some monkeys news. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of the monkeys. Mickey Dolenz has been doing some great live shows with his fantastic band with Wayne and Rich and John, and David Alexander and Coco. Just a fantastic band and it's so good to see him back on the road again. Sadly, it looks like Mickey has to cancel a date and he put out a statement saying, A message from Mickey Dolenz. Dear friends, I felt it necessary to reach out to all of you who are interested in attending my show at the Arcata Theater in St. Charles that unfortunately had to be postponed twice. The latest date was March 8th. I can assure you that the date will surely be made up this year, and the scheduling conflict came up for reasons that have to do with what we in the biz call proximity clauses. So Mickey will make up those dates, and he wants to remind everybody about the upcoming Mike and Mickey Monkeys Tour that will include a gig at the Four Winds Casino in New Buffalo on Friday, March 15th. Hope to see you there. Sincerely, Mickey. Whether you get a chance to see Mickey with his fantastic Mickey Dolan's band or you get to see him with Mike and Mickey and Andrew Sandoval wanted to make sure that he let everybody know that please note none of the M&M Mike and Mickey dates are affected by this changed or canceled. This is strictly about a Mickey solo date so it's good to know. I know that it was great this weekend watching all these people post about seeing Mickey and that fantastic band. I love what Mickey does with the karaoke stuff, but I really love that band, and I really love seeing Mickey with that band. And uh, It's just always a treat when we get to see that band out there live doing its thing. As Monkeys fans, we couldn't ask for anything better. Now, Michael Nesmith is in the middle of doing some shows that really... You should be seeing them, and they're they're going to be winding down here soon as, as of this recording. We had Andrew Sandoval on a couple episodes ago, and he talked about Michael Nesmith and Pete Finney doing a special show about And the Hits Keep On Coming. Well, there was a write-up in the Los Angeles Times. There was one part that really jumped out at me, 
And it says here, and I quote, So far, promoter Andrew Sandoval, who has overseen most of the Monkees' activities in recent decades and helped organize Nesmith's latter-day solo ventures, has lined up only a half-dozen dates. The shows are being recorded with the intention of a release of a live CD later this year, as occurred with last year's first national band Redux shows. So that's potentially fantastic great news. Who knows what will come of it, but... I think that the boys over at 7A just might be involved with that. And they've been talking about some very cool things, both Ian and Glenn and everyone over at 7A. They've been talking about some new Davy Jones projects that they've got coming up, and we hope to have them on here to talk all about that. It's always great to get new Davy Jones music. We look forward to that. And as a reminder, pick up anything from the 7A label you will not be disappointed by fans for fans great stuff today we're discussing your friendly neighborhood kidnappers directed by james frawley this came out on october 3rd 1966 and we have monkeys 101 with us today sarah clark and roseanne welsh will be here today to talk about this with monkeys 101 and go over the entire thing the songs let's dance on and i'm not your stepping stone and last train to clarksville were all featured on this episode so, before we kick it off, I'd like to play one of my favorite versions of Let's Dance On, which really was never played until the 50th anniversary concert. And I know that this is Craig Cohen's favorite Monkees song, so turn it up, party, and let's all dance on with the Monkees from the Good Times Tour. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Once upon a time in 1967, there were four boys who went on a mind-blowing adventure, and they captured it all on film. When the world and I were young, Snapshots from the collection of Davy Jones is the story of the monkey's 1967 summer tour, told through more than 80 never-before-seen images of the monkeys and their friends, including Stephen Stills, Jan Berry, Henry Diltz, and the Jimi Hendrix Experience. When the World and I Were Young is the first project from Along Came Jones Media, available now at Amazon.com. Class! Class! It's Monkeys 101! Here at Zilch, a Monkeys podcast, we're big fans of education. But as Zilch Nation grows... There's also a growing number of fans who don't know their Frodus from their Freeble Energizer, or who've forgotten the departure time for last train to Clarksville. There are even people in this world who can't solve the equation nine times blue. Oh, but have no fear, because doctors Roseanne Welch and Sarah Clark are here to help with their series, Monkeys 101. Their regular class sessions and symposiums on special topics will explore all things monkeys, from the deeper meanings of the TV show and music we all know and love, to the cultural impact of the monkeys from 1966 all the way to the present. We'll even explore the monkeys' connections to history then and now. Stay tuned for a fun, thoughtful romp through the world of the monkeys, and who knows, at the end of the episode, you just might be thinking about the monkeys in a different, deeper way. everybody, this is Dr. Sarah Clark, and welcome back to Monkeys 101, your deep exploration of all things Monkeys TV show and all things behind the scenes of the Monkeys, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Joining me today is the charming and delightful Dr. Roseanne Welch. Hey everybody, it's always fun to talk Monkeys with Monkey people. This time on Monkeys 101, we will be discussing your friendly neighborhood kidnappers. And as I learned last time, the logline of this episode is, to win a contest, the shady manager of a rival band sells the monkeys on a publicity stunt, a phony kidnapping. That's exactly the logline for this show. And as always, before we get into the meat of this episode, let's take a step back and find out what was going on uh, in the world around the monkeys during this first week in October of 1966, whether it was behind the scenes or out in the wider world. Um, Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers aired on October 3rd, 1966. On the 3rd, Marshal Arturo de Costa e Silva was elected president of Brazil, and you need to imagine me putting air quotes around elected um, <laughs> by sad. the yeah by the majority military congress of brazil that had been in place uh, since a coup in 1964 the next day on the 4th france performs a nuclear test at Maruroa atoll and lesotho uh, formerly known as basutoland gains independence from britain Mm. Yeah. Um, And I seem to recall that Botswana 
was mentioned as gaining independence the previous week. So I guess that was sort of a thing that was going on at the time. Well, um, weirdly, we forget, but we're still essentially post-World War II. And yeah. that's when the Allies started getting rid of their colonies because that's what they were mad at Hitler for having done. So yeah. all of a sudden, we started to do it. And Africa and countries were some of the last ones to be, quote unquote, independent. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, later in the week on October 6th, Baltimore Oriole Jim Palmer, 20, is the youngest to pitch a World Series shutout. And LSD is first declared illegal in the state of California. Other states follow. <laughs> That's uh, backwards, because now we're yeah. all following with making marijuana legal. Yes. <laughs> 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 and I'm not totally sure everybody got the memo on the whole LSD illegal thing. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the colors, the colors. The colors. <laughs> <laughs> Later that week on the 9th, the Baltimore Orioles finished their sweep of the L.A. Dodgers in the 63rd World Series. And the Rolling Stones recorded their first live album, Got Live If You Want It. Oh, how fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we're recording this the week of the World Series where we're like in the third game or something and the Dodgers are in it again. So here in L.A., there's much chat about that on my Facebook pages. I know. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the Phillies were like totally out of it. So it's it's everybody's all just kind of pretending it's not happening over here. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And well, frankly, I don't do a whole lot of sports stuff. So I'm pretending it's happening here. No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. And in addition to kind of our world news, there was an interesting little tidbit of monkeys behind the scenes news that I saw in Andrew Sandoval's Day by Day that I thought I might share. Apparently around this this time, Bert Schneider was getting a little concerned that Boyce and Hart had been spending too much studio time on pet projects and not enough on marketable hits for the monkeys. On October 3rd, he wrote a memo to music uh, coordinator Lester Sill to this effect, and soon Sill's boss and musical supervisor, Don Kirshner, is taking a firmer hand in the project and shifting some of the writing work back to his stable of writers in New York. I'm sure that won't cause any problems. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. Now, in fairness to Bert and Don, uh, it does look like Boyce and Hart spent most of the previous month of September 66 working on timeless hits like Teeny Tiny Gnome, Ladies Aid Society, Hold On Girl, and Through the Looking Glass. I don't think there were any number one singles in there. Yeah. No, does Through the Looking Glass have to do with Alice and Go Ask Alice and all that? Uh, not really. It's been a long time since I've listened to that one. Most of those are pretty obscure. The The closest thing that really the only song that was done that month that people will know is uh, Mr. Webster, which was a bright spot in the session logs. But the version that most of us know and love was produced a second time later on by Chip Douglas and recorded by the guys during the headquarters sessions, which won't be for another six months or so. And I love that song. I love story songs, and that one I've always loved. It's one of their best story songs, I think. Mm, I agree. And and it has your, you know, your your third act twist that you love so much. It does. See, story songs are a great way to teach people how to write movies and television shows because they have it all compacted. Yeah, absolutely. So that's essentially what was going on in the world of the monkeys and the wider world during that first week of October. And I know, Roseanne, you've pulled together some information about the production credits, the writers and directors and all the other stuff that went into the production of this episode. 
Oh, definitely. Of course, we know, well, we don't know, but we know James Frawley. He happened to direct this episode. So um, that's pretty cool. But for me, it's always about the writers. And this writer is one of the gentlemen I did get a chance to meet and interview. Um, his name is Dave Evans. He adored his time on the monkeys. He thought it was the best job he'd ever had. Mm. He'd come to the monkeys from working in the Jay Ward world on uh, a pilot to happen after Bullwinkle. Oh, so you can see where his sense of humor matched what they were trying to do on the monkeys. That explains a lot, actually. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, and he's going to, when the monkeys are over and he's very sad, he's going to move on to love American style. Mm -hmm. But he's going to decide that TV is getting harsher. And this is in the early 70s. We say that about TV now. Yeah. Uh, and so he pulls away and later in life, he becomes a conflict resolution expert, helping people with all kinds of issues um, in conversation so that it doesn't resort to violence. Oh, it's really sweet. It's I really, love it. and, and he, he, um, has been attending monkey anniversary events for in the eighties and in the modern day, Davey used to give him tickets to their events at the Greek theater. Cause of course, Dave Evans mm -hmm. lives here in Los Angeles with his wife and Mickey gave him tickets to the later concerts after Davey had passed. Um, and he, the best story I have about Dave is after the LA riots here in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. God forbid, in the early, in the late eighties, yeah. uh, his church made a pact with a local African-American church that they would each send members to visit each other to try to get to know each group better. And for a long time, different sets of his uh, church members would go to the AME church in Los Angeles and vice versa. Wow. But of course, it's been many years since the riots. And as happens with people, their habits fall back into what they're used to. And slowly, everybody stopped switching churches until the very last couple who still attends the African-American AME church here in Los Angeles is Dave and his wife. Aww. That is the coolest story. That is the coolest story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. So he's great. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, we'll talk about the actors as we get through it. And I think today I'm going to focus a little bit on the, um, the behind-the-scenes guys. Particularly, we're going to look at a lot of fun props, which were done by Jack Williams. And people have seen Jack Williams because Davy hugs him at the end of the Christmas episode and he names him as Jack the Prop Guy um, in that piece. Yes, he does, as uh, listeners to the new album Christmas Party are aware. <laughs> oh, exactly. And then Jack went on to work in Head, of course, because many people did move from the show to the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to look a little bit at art direction and set direction. And people need to recognize how all the craftsmen on the monkeys were such high quality people. In the art direction world, we've got Ross Bella, who was nominated for an Oscar in the 1950s, and he had three Emmy nominations later in his career. Whoa. Um, exactly. And he worked on shows we all know, like The Flying Nun and Heart to Heart, mm -hmm. and even as late as Designing Women. Nice. Uh, he was joined by a gentleman named Malcolm Burt, who had two Oscar nominations, mm -hmm. one for uh, art direction in Judy Garland's version of A Star is Born, and another for Andy Mame. And then our set decoration guy is a guy named Fred Price, and he was nominated for an Emmy, uh, two Emmys, one in 1971 and 1973 for working on Mannix. Right. So these guys are not just nobodies. These guys had serious careers. No. And, and I mean, even 
even when I would watch the show in the 80s as a kid on, you know, basic cable, you could see all the details in the background. But having the Blu-ray now and being able to just freeze frame and glorious, you know, 1080p, 4K, and, and, and you can really see all of the thought and care that was put into the little details of the props and the sets. I'm, that's what we're going to look at today. There's a couple posters we get close up on, and it's it's adorable to think how much work these people put into it. When I tell screenwriting students, the what happens is even if you don't become a screenwriter, if you work in any other way on a set, your job is to highlight the work of the story. And so you'll mm-hmm. notice that the posters are themed to their the theme of the show and to the guys in general. Um, in right. a way, there's a Buffy episode I show students called Hush, which is a classic Buffy episode. Excellent. And yes. there's a young boy who's killed in it, sadly, by some mm-hmm. fairy tale demons. And when Buffy goes to investigate in his dorm room, right behind the shot of her looking is the shot of a poster on the boy's wall. And it's a poster of red meat. Mm. And his body yeah. has been turned into nothing. Yes, <laughs> I remember that bit now. Yeah, it's been too long since I've watched Buffy. I need to go back and rewatch. Oh, Buffy's great. You gotta watch. So, so that kind of thing I love to show people because everyone's mm-hmm. work just enhances what's going on in the story. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. let's go ahead and get into it. Yes, let's do it. Yes. The episode opens as the monkeys are standing off stage at a band contest as the somewhat shady looking band, the four swine play their set. You can tell they're bad guys because of the matching black leather jackets and the fact that one of them smoking a cigar. <gasps> How rebel- yes. rebellious of him. Rebellious. And after some trash talk from the swines, and they handed them a banana, of course, because, yeah, it's time for our favorite foursome to take the stage. Unfortunately, the four swines manager, who we will see more of in this episode, sabotages their first set with a different kind of long hair music, a little Beethoven's fifth. Which I think people need to recognize often on this show, there are musical things like that, and there are even quotes from literary things like Shakespeare or Dickens. Mm-hmm. which shows us that the yeah. writers knew that stuff and they assumed the audience knew it too. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. And after the opening credits, we are more fully introduced to Mr. Nick Trump, the Four Swines manager, though the guys don't seem to know that he's working with the Four Swines. <laughs> Trump tells him he's been assigned to help the monkeys with publicity, as both the monkeys and the Four Swine have made the finals. And not much else to report in this scene other than a quote from Davey that pretty much describes the monkeys' post-1968 real-world career. Don't you want to be famous, the idol of millions? No, we just want to be revered by a small minority. A small minority? Uh, Any thoughts about this little opener? Just, again, if we're thinking about props, we open the scene on the guys with um, Mike's on a pogo stick, and Mickey is wearing the um, Groucho glasses he's going to use in a few other episodes. Ah, yes. So it's all about action and cute, weird shenanigans. Yes. (laughs) Lots of shenanigans. Davey's standing on his head. He does a cool little somersault off the... uh, off that chair there. That's pretty nifty, yeah. It proves the dancer he is from um, Oliver on Broadway. Very true, yes. Well, per Nick Trump's instructions, the boys head off to the Vincent Van Gogh to have their cr- clothes ripped off in a pre-arranged publicity stunt. But unfortunately, they end up at the wrong table, and well, um... Today, Lester Crabtree, menswear buyer for Wiley's department store in Passaic, New Jersey, had his clothes ripped off in a local Hollywood night spot. Mr. Crabtree was quoted as saying, 
You've got a wild little town here. Well, you were right about one thing. It got loads of publicity. Anything you want to add about this little scene at the Vincent Van Gogh? Well, we're establishing some things about the show. We're establishing uh-huh. that there's going to be these cutaways with crazy costumes. So we get the yep. we get Mickey and Mike doing the Houston. Uh, well, they don't say we have a problem, but, you know, they're doing yes. the Cape Canaveral um, chat. Which, think about uh-huh. it, it's really exciting and new to all these guys because it's the late 60s. Absolutely. And one needs to remember that uh, Mike Nesmith actually moved here from the Houston area or moved to L.A. from the Houston area. Exactly. So. so his accent is perfect to sound like somebody who's speaking from the Houston Space Center. Exactly. And the wool hat, of course, makes it. Yes. And the other thing people <laughs> should think about, which is fun, is that mm-hmm. the Houston Space Center, if you think about it, we're going to fly from Cape Canaveral, but we're training the astronauts in Houston, far, mm-hmm. far away. Yep. That makes no sense unless you think about the fact that the vice president and then president was Lyndon Johnson and his job was to bring jobs to Texas. So he made sure the space center was in Texas, but the astronauts have to be flown to Cape Canaveral to get into their capsules. <laughs> what an unbelievable coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty silly. So that's one thing they set up, these cutaways to funny costumes and moments. Mm -hmm. And also, we're going to have the cutaway to old footage. We're going to see the missile go up. Yep. And that's something that people claim Dream On, which is a big HBO hit, was, you know, Mm -hmm. unique in doing this. But look at how much earlier on, that was in 1990, and the the monkeys were doing it in 1966. Oh, absolutely. There's so many little things that they did that, that, that you see pop up uh, in, in, in later TV shows, just kind of, you know, cute little bits like that. There, there, there was more innovation here that kind of got picked up by later series, and I think folks give it credit for. So, I agree. Yes. But uh, after Lester Crabtree steals the guy's <laughs> thunders, uh, undaunted, Nick Trump tells them to go to the Chinese theater to get their handprints in cement. Uh, one note, if you are watching along with this episode, make sure to pause your DVD or Blu-ray on the theater marquee. There's some cute little Easter eggs. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, Mr. Trump and his assistant used quick drying cement and the guy's hands are stuck. And they're not really in front of the actual Grauman's Chinese no. Theater at all. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call it Grauman's. They just say the Chinese Theater and try to, you know, play it up. It looked like it was kind of the theater at the Columbia Ranch, so. Yes, and notice the two children who are there to get um, autographs are Chinese-American kids. Yeah, yeah. That's hilariously dumb in many ways. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Hilariously dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, after Nick Trump uses a sledgehammer to free the guy's hands from cement, and I have to give extra kudos to Mike for not flinching in this scene, because if memory serves, he broke up a couple of fingers as a kid in a similar accident. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And Nick Trump now announces his third and best idea for a publicity stunt, faking a kidnapping. You ever been uh, kidnapped? Um, no. Any of you guys? I was kidnapped when I was a kid once, but my family was so poor that they gave the ransom note to the neighbors. <laughs> kidnapping? What kind, Mr. Trump? A really front-page affair, sweetheart. Of course, you won't really be kidnapped, you know. You just be held till moments before the contest. Hey, no, man, I'm sorry. A kidnapping... Contest rules. Rules. Well, man, I don't know. Look, I'll tell you what you do. Think it over. Um, kidnapping, man. I promise you. If this doesn't work, we forget the whole thing. Go ahead, go, go. Uh, Okay, then. Great! 
Beautiful. Beautiful! Great. I know just who to get. Two active clients of mine. They play great hoods. Love him. He makes a quick call to a couple of real-life mobsters, Horace and George. They're in the middle of giving someone some cement shoes, but they leave their guns, take the cannoli, and head for the pad. Uh, after a few quick changes, the boys dress for their kidnapping, uh, black tie for a daytime kidnapping per Mr. Trump. Uh, however, Davy left the pad and isn't back yet, and the kidnappers are running late. Oh, no. And here, when they do the change of clothes, of mm-hmm. course, they do the quick bewitched, you know, fly them out of the scene and, and stop and, and cut them back in. Right. This is where we see a poster on the wall for actually a piece that was a play in 1900 called Fine Feathers. Yes. And the cute thing about it is, it, you know, it's just a poster. Who thinks it means anything? But the catchphrase to that play was, if we're going to be crooks, let's be good ones. So it's not there by accident. Yeah, no, it's not. That's awesome. Um, I, I when the D, when the Blu-ray first came out, I, I I I actually was going to do this thing of trying to do find good screenshots of all of the posters and kind of try to find out what I could about them. Uh, and then mm-hmm. it turned out to be just like way more work than I could handle. But yeah, especially those early seasons, keep an eye on the posters. There's a really big one um, for a circus movie that appears in a lot of the yep. episodes uh, and a yep. lot of other things that are in there. And just, you know, keep your eye out because as, as was mentioned, there's a lot of layers and details that maybe you couldn't see when you were watching on your, you know, small picture tube back in 1986 or in your case 1966 exactly and we will do our best to find those when they happen and point them out Um, that's what we're here for absolutely it's it's an important mission and we have taken it on (laughs) and with that we are back to the kidnappers who after an amusing mix-up with the address uh arrive at the pad and tie up the boys however they suddenly realize that davy isn't there although i Guess I can see how they might mix him up with Mr. Schneider. No. Yeah, turns out that Davey is back at the Vincent Van Gogh with a girlfriend played by Monkey Stand-In, recurring extra, and former Zilch guest Val Carey's Vinay. Um, yeah. Yes, and she, uh, this is actually not her first appearance. She appeared in the last train to Clarksville romp uh, in uh, Monkey vs. Machine. And, you know, and she's going to pop in really throughout the season, but especially, especially so in the first season. Exactly. And I think something really important to look at here in this two sections is one, we do the bit of writing on the screen, the metatextual talking to the audience. Mm -hmm. And it's when the two hoods are dancing stupidly and the screen reads Cassius Clay, watch out. Yeah. And of course, Cassius Clay was Muhammad Ali's original name. Mm -hmm. And he actually had already changed his name to Muhammad Ali by the time this came out. He had. So I'm dying to know why they didn't go with that unless... I know there was some controversy because, of course, he changed it because he mm-hmm. knew it was it was essentially a slave name. Right. Um, and many African-Americans, that's why Malcolm X changed his last name to X instead mm-hmm. of Little. So yeah. there may have been some controversy about not wanting to accept his explanation. I don't know. Yeah. But they do it. Um, and it's fascinating. And the other thing to note is as all the kids follow Davy into the pad. Right. There are some African-American kids in that crowd. Yes, I was going to notice that, uh, say that too. By by 60 standards, that was a fairly little diverse uh, crowd because basically Davey invites the whole gang at the club back to the pad for a party. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And um, essentially a romp to let's dance on and step in stones ensues during the party uh, while <laughs> George desperately tries to tie up all 40 kids. Uh, and that includes <laughs> the nice old couple from the wrong house who brought them tea. Uh, and Horace tries to renegotiate his fee with Mr. Trump. Uh, Davy sees the problem and quickly clears the mob by switching the juke box from monkeys to polka uh problem <laughs> and everybody flees uh and problem solved or so the guys think because after the party nick trump arrives and drops the bombshell the kidnapping is real not fake exactly yeah yeah in this whole segment we get a bunch of again metatextual stuff that's mostly peter constantly giving us the time He's talking about 7.30, 6.30 Central Time. Right. So it's all about the time the monkeys air. Uh-huh. <laughs> which so... is adorable. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't quite hit like at the timestamps it would be if it were really that time, but it gets kind of close. So. <laughs> True. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's kinda... adorable. And then he also he also does that we'll be right back after this commercial. Yes, that was that was awesome <laughs> at the end of this because, because um, the guys are locked up in a room and trying various uh, attempts to get out. Uh, they try to hurl Peter out the window, but then decide against that because he might land on a passerby, you know. And then, very dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Very dangerous. And uh, the, the rope ladder of sheets is of little use on the f- first floor. Mickey tries <laughs> using a roll of pennies as brass knuckles, and that doesn't work real well. But then he basically goes into his mad scientist mode and wields a bottle of nitroglycerin to talk their way out and uh, lock up the kidnappers in the bedroom. Exactly. And there we have a new costume again. And mm-hmm. we keep setting up this concept that Mickey's really good at experiments. Yes. Yeah. They really leaned into the whole mad scientist thing in these early episodes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The kidnappers do not stay stuck in the room for very long. And they basically chase the monkeys all the way to the contest during a romp to last train to Clarksville. As romps with kidnappers often are, the guys take a somewhat circuitous route through settings and genres, including a dune buggy ride on the beach, shirtless Davy alert, uh, desert trek, (laughs) uh, Old West showdown, and ultimately just like a random chase throughout like every area of the Columbia Ranch. Uh, Look like they just kind of ran all over the place as the song ends mike our hero traps the kidnappers in a net and the monkeys run into the con uh, into the contest and we cut to the guys playing the end of clarksville on stage to thunderous applause and Yay! and then peter says we'll be right back after these messages <laughs> <laughs> are they a tv show or are they a band yes <laughs> that's that's my kitty agreeing <laughs> and after the break it is time to find out the winners the four swine are disqualified and arrested the monkeys are commended for their escape and the winning band is none other than lester crabtree and the three crabs After the guys rip off, uh, excuse me, after the girls rip off Lester's clothes and the guys rip off each other's shirts in attempt at fame, we end the episode. Well, that's so funny. Except they're another minute short. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think it's really important that we look at this, uh, these one minute afters, because this Mm -hmm. is the chance for in a pre um, entertainment tonight kind of world and a pre everybody's in people magazine this was a chance for fans to get to see the actors as themselves, yes. which is shocking. 
Fellas, fellas, wait one second. We home. What? Take a seat for a second, will you, fellas? Can we go? Uh, no, it's just that we're a minute short, and we've got to talk about something. Huh? Another yeah. minute short. Yeah. Why don't you time rolling. your show? Is better. Oh, the camera's on, really? Yeah. yeah. Are you serious? I'm okay. Since the show's been on for like a few weeks now, uh, have you heard from any fellas that like are out of your past that you haven't seen in a long while? Didn't even know you were on the show. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people call it. A lot of people who, who used to say, you know, you're going to go to jail. You're going to still will die when you're 23 years old. Mike, uh, is that a prediction that a lot of people made about you when you were a kid? Yeah. Why? Why did they make that prediction? Yeah. Well, I was a pretty rotten kid. Were you, you a loser? Well, yeah. A victim? No, just a loser. <laughs> I sort of created my own hotbed, you know. Yeah. It's a drag. Yeah. So I said, why? Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Mike, let me ask you this. How about uh, things that you're able to get now that you were never able to get before, like a car or a motorcycle? Are you digging those things? Yeah, that's a group. You know, that whole scene is a, is a whole other thing. You know, i got to be very careful. Uh, what? Well, I was, I'll spend myself bankrupt. You know, like, you got a big car and all that kind of stuff, big house, yeah. big... Uh, the universe is permeated with the odor of turpentine. <laughs> you guys know, of course, that we've only got one minute in which to say everything that's on your minds, don't you? Uh, collectively, have you got something to say that's really important? Well, I'm best of all. I really want to tell you that I saw another thing about it, man, is that a minute is entirely too long for us to tell everything we've got on our minds. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mike. Good night, fellas. Good night. This is, doesn't happen after Gilgan's Island. It doesn't happen after Bewitched. It mm-hmm. only happens on this show. And yeah. in this particular one, they let Mike, you know, he talks about how someone said he was going to die before he was 23. Mm-hmm. And they really let him talk about being a quote unquote bad boy. Yeah. Which is not the reputation they were looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's very amazing to me that they got, got that passed. And then, of course, he ends it with his own sort of um, – foreshadowing of his future when he says if i don't watch out i'll spend myself bankrupt because he did spend all his monkey's money originally yeah pretty much all of them but mickey did and i think that was essentially just because his you know his parents had been in the business and his mom basically kept him from doing it exactly his mom took care of his money which Mm -hmm. was brilliant of her and brilliant of him to know but see that's what happens there are friends of mine who work in this business and one of the things they tell you you should learn up front is um, how to save money and how to play the stock market. Because you might go a couple of years and make money you can't believe, right. and then you don't work for five years. Mm-hmm. So you have to parcel that money out across time. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know. And only if you know the business do you know that. Right, right. And and that makes sense because he was really the only one. I mean, Davey was a child actor, but it was sort of a different situation. And he came in a little later, whereas, you know, Mickey was Hollywood born and bred. So, well, And it's the parents. It's the parents totally. that make all the difference. Totally. Yeah. Um, I say this. There's my favorite Michael J. Fox story. Not uh-huh. that he's part of the monkeys. But no. if we're talking about parents and teen stars, um, he won a couple of Emmys for being, of course, in Family Ties. Mm-hmm. And there's a story about him coming down to the breakfast table on the morning after he won his first Emmy. And his mother had arranged, he had a brother and a sister. Yeah. His mother had arranged every single trophy, little league, swimming, goods, whatever anyone else in the family had won. The whole breakfast table was full of trophies with the Emmy, like in the center of it somewhere, not even in the center, but mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah. And he must have had a look on his face like, what the heck is this? And, his, and he tells the story that his mother looked at him and said, just so you know, you're not the only one in this family who wins things. Go mom. Go mom. And look how balanced and wonderful that man has been all his life. Yeah, to his this, parents, yeah, to this day. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that stuff makes a difference. And I think Mickey has said it in other interviews, but his parents were so important to him not going off the deep end. 
as much as like he did a little, but it didn't yeah. totally wreck his life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, next up, I t- took a look, as I did in the last couple of episodes, at uh, TV tropes and seeing what kind of yeah. things popped up for this episode. Uh, one trope was, and you thought it was a game, in your friendly neighborhood <laughs> kidnappers, a shady publicity agent, who is actually the manager of a rival band, convinces the monkeys to submit to a phony ca- kidnapping as a publicity stunt. Only he doesn't tell the band it will be a real kidnapping. Then, of course, there's the audience murmurs parodied when it, uh, the guys basically say rhubarb, 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 but they, as they do in many episodes, actually, whenever they, they have to have a discussion scene. Yes. And they are, again, that's them metatextually laughing at that when in the real world, if you see characters in the background talking, there are whole groups of voice actors who are paid to come in and make up dialogue and walk around saying actual things that sound men will shrink and make lower and fit in so that it seems natural and real. Right. Wow. <laughs> I know. It's a whole job. It's pretty fun. A friend of mine does that on Supernatural. So. <laughs> oh, cool. Cool. I'll have to yeah. tell my friend Cindy that. Well, actually, probably, she probably just started because she listens to the show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because she's a big Supernatural fan. Uh, And then, of course, we have uh, the shirtless scene, which um, uh, TV Trump's talking talking about it being uh, parodied, uh, both with Lester Crabtree getting his clothes ripped off twice and the guys ripping off each other's clothes. But it's also played straight in that romp. (laughs) It is played straight. Yes. And, you know, that stuff is all referential to people like Robert Goulet, you know, who had women throw the underwear on the stage at them. Mm-hmm. And you go back to Sinatra and oh, yeah. the teenagers screaming after him. It's like an American phenomenon that happened in in that era. Yeah, yeah, very true. Kind of that mid-century thing. And, and it kind of evolved through that period. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of stopped. Like, people don't really do that anymore, thankfully. I, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, those were the main kind of TV tropes that that popped up. But one other thing I was sort of thinking about, what is it with all these kidnaps on the uh, kidnappings on the show? This is our fourth episode that we've talked about and our second mm-hmm. kidnapping. And you could argue the m- monkeys were somewhat held against their will and monkey see, monkey die. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Was that just kind of like um, a common plot at the time? Well, you're looking for conflict. You're looking to be put into a situation mm-hmm. or an obstacle that gets in your way of achieving the goal you want. It's, um, uh, one could say, as much as I love Gardner and Caruso and the work they did on the show, it's a little bit of a cheat gimmick. But mm-hmm. when you have to crank out a bunch of episodes in a short period of time, you go to what you know. Yeah, yeah, very true. And and I, 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 people, I think, sometimes forget, especially that first season, they did over 30 episodes in that first season. It, it really, they, they put out a lot of content. They did. I mean, you know, and that's the way original TV ran. I mean, in the beginning, they were doing like real people's jobs. They would do 50 weeks a year and take two weeks off. Wow. Yeah, as TV began. And then slowly it was a few more weeks off and a few more weeks off. And in that period, they would put in, um, of course, there weren't reruns yet. So they would put in some other variety show kind of person, they thought. So it's kind of like giving a pilot a chance. Mm -hmm. So that's how somebody like Glenn Campbell ends up with the show and Mac Davis ended up with the show because you did that little six week period. And if you got good ratings, they'd give you a whole show in the following season. Oh, okay. So at this point, for the monkeys, we've come to 30 a year. Um, In our era now, a regular show is 22 a year. And of course, we're falling into the English pattern of 12 a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot more shows are kind of going that, especially on cable, are going that prestige route. 
Exactly. So it's hard to say when they go into the Emmys, there's complaints because someone who's doing 12 episodes a year has more time than someone doing 22. Very true. So is it fair to run the Game of Thrones up against Grey's Anatomy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a valid, it is a valid, uh, you know, point to bring up. Absolutely. Um, Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what other themes kind of popped out for you on this episode? Well, you know, the funny thing is a, a recurring theme as we said in the monkeys is the business of not trusting anybody over 30 and Nick Trump is probably on the verge of 30. Yep. I don't know. We can't tell. Um, so it's always the older people they trust, not the middle aged people. Mm-hmm. So of course that's happening. Um, as well as this sort of sad, continuous, um, belief that you can't trust anybody who is a manager, an agent or a public relations person right. in Hollywood. Yeah. And that's funny because I mentioned stars born earlier and part of the original three stars borns, the mm-hmm. PR guy is the one who's the meanest to the actor who's on his way out. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really do that one in um, the new version. They yeah. do it with uh, basically a new, well, actually, I guess it is her new manager. It used to be his old manager. But right. so it's, it's a, it's a stereotype that they fall back on a lot. Very true. Very true. Yeah. But they don't really touch on a, you know, I would say this is not one that's theme heavy because it's more silly nonsense, you know, plot heavy. Yeah, yeah. And and it it was, um, you know, I enjoy this episode. I don't think... I don't know. I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say there's a bad monkeys episode. There are several there kind of close, but, um, you know, this one was just kind of felt a little middle of the road. I'd have to go back and look at, look in recording order and see where this one fell, fell because it, it felt like, it felt like on one hand, the guys, you know, their chemistry was kind of clicking. There were a lot of great moments in it, but it just the plot in it and nothing against Dave Evans. Cause I love all the individual moments and individual gags, but it felt like, you know, I can see why this one was another, was a minute short. You know what I mean? Yes, it does. It exactly. And Dave would, and Dave admitted to me his thing. Think about it. Bullwinkle. He does short, cute vaudeville. Type <gasps> Good sketch point. Stuff. Yeah. And this is very yeah. much in that vein. I mean, you could, yep. you could see this plot in Rocky and Bullwinkle. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So it's, it's the style that they hired him to do and they're still figuring out what the show is at this point. Very true. Very true. So each writer is going to come to it thinking it's something different until we get everyone to do one or two episodes. And then it's the um, story editor and the executive producer's job to say, no, this is what we want on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we didn't mention when they're um, bashing all of their hands out of the cement. Ah, yes. um, There's one extra moment of, it's all about the metatextuality, Mm -hmm. but it's when Mickey says, careful, I'll never play the guitar again. And Davey says, but you're the drummer. Yes. (laughs) Because of course that was newly established thing. He, he, he auditioned as a guitarist and then they made him the drummer and being an actor, he said, okay, but that's, you know, that's a reminder to everybody. That's not who he really is. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't an elephant trainer either. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it's, uh, I just think it's an interesting, they're being honest with everybody and they're having so much fun sort of talking to the audience all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there were, there were a few good fourth wall moments and some of them we kind of called out in the recap and that seems to be, I think they figured out fairly early on that that's something they wanted to to lean into both kind of the fourth wall bits in the episodes proper and also all the, you know, all the end of episode interviews and stuff because it helped helped their audience sort of attach to the people behind the roles. Exactly. Exactly. And I have to put in uh, whatever uh, a promotion for the writers. 
it's often assumed that a lot of these asides were invented by the actors. But you have to remember that to do any close-up, you have to have plotted it out. The AD had to map it out. They have to move the cameras and prepare for it. So much of this is actually written into the script. If there are some improvs on the set, they would improv while rehearsing. Right. And then they would arrange for the cameras and then they would do it. So there's not as much improv as we think. Yeah, very true. Very true. And a lot of those you can even tell were kind of planned out, like the one where Mickey says he's got to talk to the writers and it's, you know, these extras with the guy with the whip and the vaccine. I mean, that obviously was not ad-libbed. So. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's, it's you know, to me, that's a thing to remember. I love the actors, of course, but I also love the writers. Yeah, very true. And and very sort of, um, you know, I, I sort of hope that's kind of one of the things we're doing with Monkeys 101 is helping people understand you know, how kind of all the behind the scenes parts came together, too. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, you know, the different guys I was talking about, I mean, these are Oscar nominated people. And we didn't even mention yet the actors. But here's Vic Tabak. Ah, yes. He's going to show up again. And he's going to show up mostly he's best known for playing um, on uh, the, the sitcom Alice, mm-hmm. which is based on the movie Alice doesn't live here anymore. Right. So he's, you know, a quality actor in his own right. But he was often forced into playing sort of mug Italians. Yeah. Yeah. There were, I mean, there are guys like, who don't have giant careers. Yeah, yeah. Vic Nothing just jumped out at me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Vic Tabak is going to be directed by Martin Scorsese in that movie. Yeah. That's nothing to sneeze at. Mm. You get picked by Scorsese. That's big stuff. Yep. Very true. Very true. So, And in the itty-bitty tiny six degrees of everything, yes. um, it's Chris Christopherson in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And, of course... It's him in the third Star is Born. And mm-hmm. then we have the Star is Born. And it's just all circles and circles and yeah. circles. <laughs> well, that means that so Lady Gaga, yeah, it, there, there's got to be some sort of connection now between Lady Gaga and the monkeys, but I'll have to think that out later. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. No, no, no. I've got it. You've you got, got Christopherson, it. Christopherson, who was produced by John Peters. Now yep. you have Lady Gaga, who's in the new movie produced by John Peters, mm-hmm. who produced the Christopherson version. And Christopherson works with. Um, Tabek and Tabex on the monkeys. There we go. There we go. See it all. They all, everybody in Hollywood connects back to the monkeys. This is, this is my personal little six degrees game. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) So with that covered, that, that important bit of trivia covered, it's time to talk about the music. Um, uh, once again, gee, I can't imagine why the ubiquitous last train to Clarksville is featured. Um, if you want to hear us uh, covering the credits on that, we talked about that in uh, Monkey See, Monkey Die. We also have uh, two songs that are new to the Monkeys TV show that are played in the party scene. Uh, Let's Dance On and I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. Let's Dance On was recorded July 5th, July 9th, and July 16th of 1966. Uh, personnel, Mickey Dolenz on lead and backing vocal, Tommy Boyce, Ron Hicklin, and uh, Peter Tork provide some backing vocals on that. Uh, Wayne Irwin, guitar, backing vocal, Jerry McGee and Louis Shelton on guitar, Larry Taylor on bass, Billy Lewis on drums, Gene Estes on maracas and tambourine, Bobby Hart on organ and backing vocal. Uh, and this was, uh, as uh, folks know, on the uh, first Monkees album. 
Uh, and then next up, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, was recorded uh, mostly on July 26, 1966, possibly some other dates that have been lost to history. Uh, personnel, Mickey Dolan's lead vocal, Tommy Boyce backing vocal, Wayne Irwin backing vocal and guitar, uh, Jerry McGee and Louis Shelton on guitars, Larry Taylor bass, Billy Lewis drums, Bobby Hart organ and backing vocal, and then somebody unknown doing footstops, hand clamps, and tambourine. And this one appeared... Uh, ultimately on more of the monkeys album so yeah cool yeah yeah uh and uh in sandoval monkeys day by day which is where i get a lot of this information uh there's actually a quote from bobby hart about uh steppenstone he says i think steppenstone was the biggest garage band song we ever wrote it seems like a lot of kids cut their teeth on that it was easy changes he says meaning a relatively simple chord sequence i don't know what else made it so popular maybe that was the biggest reason the changes were easy no, I would disagree with him. I think the sentiment and the emotion in that song um, is is the, what makes it powerful. Well, yeah, but you're the writer Thanks and he's the, <laughs> he's the musician. So <laughs> that's why I find it. You mean the too. whole world views everything through the prism of what they know? Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in other musical news, um, in reruns, A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, and The Girl I Knew Somewhere, um, replaced the old tunes for this episode's uh, re-airing on May 15th, 1967, uh, when it re-ran again uh, in Saturday morning reruns in the late 60s, early 70s. Its audio, audio track was once again revised to include the Jeff Berry, Andy Kim song, Do You Feel It Too? Really? Really? <laughs> I'm not a okay. big I'm not big on the Jeff Berry stuff but that's just me <laughs> that particular song at least is like really who remembers that but yeah I, I I had to like go back wait was which was that one but I, I wasn't like a big fan of like changes it, it if if you told it, it that is easily my least favorite monkeys album so <laughs> which is so sad because I love both the guys but yeah yeah but it just you know it's it 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 was a contractual obligation record and it kind of sounds like it <laughs> Yeah, no one had their heart in it. Yeah, yeah. So um, next time we will be celebrating our fifth Monkeys 101 session with a uh, sort of a deep dive seminar into an important person behind the scenes in the Monkeys world. And we'll be telling you more about that as that gets closer. So stay tuned to the uh, Facebook group and um, we will be talking to you soon. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Roseanne? No, Justin, we can't wait to talk to you again. Absolutely. See you next time. Bye-bye. Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. After a career of writing for television shows like Touched by an Angel, Picket Fences, and Beverly Hills 90210, Roseanne shifted gears and went into education. She now writes on film and television studies and teaches in the screenwriting program at Stevens College. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not terribly secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. 
If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand head either. The Monkees, the complete series. All 58 episodes, newly remastered in stunning HD from the original negatives for the very first time. Plus the 1969 TV special 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. Bonus material includes commentaries from all four monkeys, original Kellogg's monkeys commercials, and more. The 1968 monkeys film, Head in HD with never-before-seen outtakes. Unique packaging including a 7-inch single featuring Star Collector back with Going Down in unique TV mono mixes. This collection is strictly limited to 10,000 individually numbered box sets. And once those are sold out, this edition and the bonus disc will never be available again. Everything you loved about the monkeys on TV, it's yours in high def on Blu-ray now. The Monkeys the Complete Series. Go to rhino.com or themonkeystore.warnermusic.com. The Monkeys the Complete TV Series on Blu-ray. Hi fellow Zilch fans. This is Dr. Roseanne Welch, author of Why the Monkeys Matter. Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture, a book about the enduring significance of the monkeys as a groundbreaking television program, one that introduced audiences to new ideas of political ideology and new concepts of class and feminist theory, a program that challenged the rules of a new medium and paved the way for future innovation. Why the Monkeys Matter highlights the artistic achievements of the show's writers, actors, directors, and other artists, and celebrates all that the monkeys mean to television, to American popular culture, and to us, the fans. Why the Monkeys Matter is available in print and for Kindle, Apple iBooks, and Nook from your favorite bookseller. Find out more at RoseanneWelch.com. R-O-S-A-N-N-E-W-E-L-C-H.com. Thank you, Sarah and Roseanne. We love it when the doctors do their thing here on Zilch, and we look forward to more from Monkeys 101. I was talking to Tim Powers about the music on the charts when this episode came out. October 3rd, 1966. And the mind reels when you look back at the charts. And right now I'm opening up Billboard magazine from October 8th, 1966, the week that this episode came out. And I'm going to look at like the first 20 songs or so. Just cruising through this thing. We've got everybody from Sinatra to Dylan to... Ray Charles, Herb Albert, and the Tijuana Brass, the Kinks, Dusty Springfield. At number 21, we had the Beatles with Eleanor Rigby. 20, Poor Side of Town by Johnny Rivers. C.C. Ryder by Eric Burden and the Animals at 19. At 18, Wipeout with the Safaris. And it's weird because you think about Wipeout coming out at the same time as Eleanor Rigby, and it just seems like that's wrong. Like, it seems like Whiteout. Like, Wipeout should have been an earlier song, you know, like Louie Louie and stuff like that, but this was when it was a hit. You know, it's it's weird. Mike could have done a song called Whiteout. Get it? Because his mom invented... Anyway. <clears throat> Number 17. Mr. Dyingly Sad by the Critters. Yellow Submarine at 16 with the Beatles. 15, one of my personal favorites, Bus Stop by the Hollies. Number 14, Walk Away Renee, The Left Bank. 13, Born a Woman, Sandy Posey. 
Number 12, a very groovy track, Sunshine Superman by Donovan. Number 11, what becomes of the broken heart at Jimmy Ruffin? You know, I should do this like Casey Kasem. At number 10, you've got Under My Skin by The Four Seasons, featuring the sounds of Frankie Valli. That was happening a lot because even Paul Revere and the Raiders turned into Paul Revere and the Raiders featuring Mark Lindsay. So, And it came from a garage with number nine, Psychotic Reaction, the count five. Number eight, You Can't Hurry Love with the Supremes. At number seven, Cherry Cherry with Neil Diamond. The folks who like to monkey around are locked in at number six with The Monkeys, Last Train to Clarksville. So just think about that. When the fourth episode of The Monkees aired, Last Train to Clarksville was number six. And now I'm going to turn it over to our disc jockey, Tim Powers, who's actually spent some time behind the mic with a tiny little feature that we're going to call October 1966 KXOK right here. Take it away, big boss jock Tim Powers with the top five. Wherever you go, go, go with KXOK St. Louis. All right, St. Louis, it's all hit AM 630 KXOK. I'm Tim Powers, and today we're counting down the hits of this week in October 1966. Coming right out of the gate, straight out of Motown, it's the Four Tops with Reach Out, I'll Be There.
just keep cranking them out out there in Detroit. That's Levi Stubbs in the Four Tops with Reach Out. I'll be there. Number five on the sing-along survey right here on AM 630. KXOK, St. Louis's Best Rock. Hey, you want to stick around because we've got lots of great music coming up. Uh, number four comes to us not from Liverpool, not from Detroit, not from Chicago, not from Los Angeles, all the way from Spain. A lot of people think this is Gene Pitt, but it's not. It's actually Los Bravo with Black is Black right here on AM 630. KXOK. Black is Black. I want my baby back. It's gray, it's gray. Since she went away, oh, oh. what can I
not possess But what I like about you is your tenderness A pretty face may be some guy's face But I'll take love and in his place Cause I know that only skin deep Yeah, yeah, yeah And for you know that beauty's only skin deep Oh, baby Oh, yeah Powers with you on the all hit AM 630 KXOK. The sing along survey has this been so far out. We don't know who they are. Question mark of the Mysterios. Too many teardrops for one heart to be crying. Too many teardrops for one heart to carry on. You're way on top now. Crack, 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 now You're gonna 
I'd like to thank all you kids listening out there on KXOK and on Zilch. Shout out to Ken for making all this possible. It's this week, October 1966. What's going to be the number one song? It's number one, 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 one. Someone who could cherish me as much as I cherish you Perish is the word that more than a Cherish as much as I do yours. Oh, I'm beginning to think that man has never found the words that could make you what me. That have the right amount of letters, just the right sound that could make you hear, make you see that you are driving me out of my mind. Say I need you, but then you'd realize that I want you just like a thousand other guys would say they love you with all the rest of their lives when all they wanted was to touch your face, your hands, and gaze into your eyes. Cherish is the word I describe all the feeling that I have writing here for you inside you don't know how many times I wish that I had told you Cherish me as much as I cherish you
you got to hear the actual top five as if you were listening to a radio station from October 1966. So thank you, Tim, for putting that together for us. We like to have fun here at Zilch, and we hope that you had some fun with us today. We will see you all on the next episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. Don't forget to check out the other monkeys-related podcasts. You've got Craig and Megan's fantastic show, the sidecast that they've got going on where they go in-depth to the monkey stuff. And, and of course, don't forget to check out Big Al Bigley and awesome Alan Williams over at the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion podcast show with the really long title and of course dave galvin's we want the monkeys thank you for taking some time today to monkey around with us we will let you get back to your regularly scheduled day play some monkeys music if you get too bummed out put a smile on your face and better yet put a smile on someone else's we'll see you all on the next episode of zilch and that's our show zilch is an online non-profit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.